0: Uh, Ruth, the first chapter of Ruth, we're we're journeying through the book together, and I want to just invite you to read with me. We're going to read the the first um, 18 verses. We're going to just go back a little bit to the, um, just the beginning, because there's not much that we covered last week that we can't just review um, in reading this morning, and follow along As we read a few, um, just review, if you will, the book of Ruth is about redemption. That's the theme of it, and uh, primarily it's the redemption of the whole world through Christ. This is a family that has been plucked out of the book of Judges. The, The season that's being written about is the season of the Judges, and Ruth and her family... Elimelech and Naomi and their family really have been plucked out of the book of Judges, and there's been a book written about them because that family is the specific family that will carry on the hope of redemption that we all, um, we all anticipate. And it's not just that temporary redemption, or not really temporary, but that, that redemption that we experience when we come to Christ, but it's the, it's the full expression of that redemption when we enter into heaven. Um, that's when this redemption process really reaches its climax, when we are standing in the presence of God and we are accepted by Him, welcomed into His kingdom, and then allowed to rule and reign with Him for forever. Uh, that's the full expression of redemption. And so Ruth is a, is a is a narrative in the Bible. One of the really one of the most beautiful narratives of the scriptures that really unfold or unpack this redemptive process, and in four small chapters, it's going to unfold the whole redemption process, and it's really a, a, a link in a chain that goes all the way back to Genesis when... Adam and Eve sin and there's an animal that's slain and that, the, clothes, the skin of that animal is placed on Adam and Eve showing the, a covering of their sins. That's the beginning of this picture. It's fulfilled when, when um, unrighteous people enter heaven and they enter heaven not based upon their own merits, but they enter heaven based upon the redemptive work of Christ that he has purchased them back by his own blood. And Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and all of the um, characters in the book of Ruth play a part in this in this process. And we learned last week just the importance of understanding and recognizing that God uses flawed things, doesn't He? And we look at flawed. We look at. And I don't even want to use the word flawed. Bad. He uses bad decisions in the first few verses, bad people, Moabites. These are not your, your everyday recognized as good people. and These are Sodomites in a sense of being from the area where, where sodomy was, was originated. This is a, a people that comes from a relationship between a, a, a father and their daughter. And the Moabites were seen as very, very wicked people, the extreme of evil. And this is, the, this is a, a Romans 1 depiction of all of humanity. This is a Genesis 6 depiction of all of humanity. We're all depraved. We're all sinful. No one seeks after God. No one is righteous in God's eyes. The reality of it is, it is, it is those who recognize their sinfulness before God, those are the ones that God uh, roots up, plucks up, if you will, from Moab and takes them to Bethlehem where um, he dwells, where where his blessing is, and and not just temporary but eternal. And so this is kind of the prerequisite that's what's taking place here. Let's read, if you want to follow along, we'll begin in verse number one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi. The name of, the sons, the name of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and, Chil- and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And again, the first, the, these first uh, six or five verses are meant to describe to us life life in a in a in a culture in, a, in an economy where where uh there's no submission to God it's like trials come and people run to other places they they intermarry with uh with people that they're not supposed to be any intermarrying with they go to places that they're not supposed to be going to they uh, people are dying it's just kind of this natural flow of life as these first five verses is what takes place every day in in our world around us It's the evil of the world. Verse number six, we begin this this cycle of seeing this process that brings about redemption. If you're taking notes this morning, the the title of this morning's message is The Path Home or The Road to Redemption. It depends on whose perspective you're looking at it from. So let's let's read the text here. The Bible says, "Then she arose, speaking of Naomi, then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was and with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go" Have I set have I yet sons in my womb that you may become that they may become your husbands turn back my daughters go your way for I am too old to have a husband if I should say that I have hope even if I should have a husband this night and bear and should bear sons would you therefore wait until they were grown would you therefore refrain from marrying no my daughters or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this story that um, reminds us of the promise of redemption and reminds us, Lord God, it it um, links together the redemptive work of Jesus Christ all the way back into the Old Testament as we see the line of Christ being fulfilled. And we thank you for the hope that you, we have in Christ and the hope that is 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 the hope of salvation, the hope of redemption that is offered today, uh, even in our culture and in, in our world, thousands of years removed from the work of Christ, yet the fruits of his work are being manifested each day. I pray that you'll help us, Lord God, to learn from this narrative, to uh, grow closer to you and to glorify you in how we respond to it. We'll give you the thanks and the praise in Christ's name. Amen. I want to just break down the narrative for you. I have nine nine truths this morning, I believe, that come out of this narrative in regards to what, what I would call the road to redemption or a path to redemption. You can think about the idea of a path to redemption. Athletic teams have a path to redemption. Um, uh, politics have a path to redemption. Uh, the, the idea of a path to deliverance or a path to salvation or a path to redemption is something that's very, very uh, common in our vernacular. We would understand the, the idea of, of this journey that people go on till they make it to that ro- realm where they are, where they are free where they are set free. Naomi and, and Ruth and, and Orpah are on that journey. And this, these verses are describing the process that they go through to get back to Bethlehem where Ruth is going to meet Boaz. Boaz is the picture of Christ and they're going to get married and they're going, to create, uh, they're going to have an offspring of Obed who is going to ultimately bring about David, who is going to ultimately bring about Christ, who is ultimately going to bring about redemption for the entire world. So, we have this process, this road of redemption that's being presented to us in this narrative or in this story. So, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, these are the three characters that are starting out on this journey from Moab to Bethlehem. They're starting out on this journey together. All three of them we saw in our text that all three of them are starting out on the journey. And it's not just Ruth and Naomi that start on the journey. It's all three of them, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. All three of them start out on this journey to go to Bethlehem or to go to a place of redemption, okay? Naomi is obviously the leader Because Naomi has already been on this journey before. The Bible refers to Naomi going home or Naomi returning or going back to a place that she had been before. So Naomi has already taken this journey. She has already been in Bethlehem, the place of redemption. She's already been on that journey when she left there to go to Moab. And likely it was that journey that cost her husband his life. It's very possible that the journey that she went on from Bethlehem to Moab, the the harshness of that journey was what caused Elimelech to die. Um, The text doesn't specifically say that, although it is implied that while they made the end of the journey, at the same time Elimelech died. So it's very likely that Elimelech was um, not able to or at least was impacted or affected by the journey that he went on from from Bethlehem to Moab. And many theologians also would say that the, the, the decision to go from Bethlehem to Moab was judged by God, and that was why Elimelech died. Either way we look at it, this process has impacted Elimelech. So Naomi is obviously the leader on this journey because she has been there before. Ruth and Orpah, are, 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 they're along for the ride, if you will. They don't know what they're facing. When they look ahead, they are seeing things that they haven't seen before. They are recognizing struggles that they haven't recognized before. They are facing difficulties that they haven't faced before. And they might come to a pass in the, in the mountains or in the hills and not know what's on the other side of that. They are completely oblivious to what lies ahead of them. Matter of fact, they have no clue that Boaz is in Bethlehem waiting to marry Ruth. They have no idea of that, do they? There's an extraordinary level of faith that has to take place in the hearts of Ruth and Orpah to go from a place where there is comfort, where there is some stability, where there is family, where there is... there are things that they recognize and understand to go from that place to go to a place that they have no idea what lies ahead of them. That's what Ruth and Orpah are experiencing. Naomi's been there before. Naomi is kind of this, this leader on the journey. She's the one who is kind of setting the pace. We notice in the, in the, in the narrative that the journey starts, the journey begins because Ruth or Naomi, hears of blessing in Bethlehem. Now, she catches wind. It's very likely that as she's out there in the fields working and laboring, she doesn't have a husband. Remember, she's in Moab, place of great wickedness. Halimelech, her husband, has died, and now Naomi is basically caring for the family. She's out working and, and providing for, the, for her needs and, and likely that of Ruth and Orpah as well. So she's out in the fields, and the the um, the people in the fields are talking about what's taking place in Bethlehem. And they heard that God has restored blessing to Bethlehem, and and, and, and Naomi is catches wind of this, and, and immediately you can almost tell as you read the text that there's a sense of there's a sense of of hope in in Naomi. Even though Naomi, you don't, you don't see it right away, you don't see this like this jubilation overflowing her you almost can sense like she's there's something that she she feels in that moment that there's hope of deliverance there's not just hope for her but hope for her people I wrote this note down because it kind of what hit me is if if you 've ever seen somebody that's experienced something in in kind of a momentary situation where they they want to smile, but they're not really sure if they can, and so they kind of like squint they kind of like they kind of like uh squelch the smile and you can just kind of see that there's this smile wanting to show up on their face, but they're just not letting it happen. I kind of see naomi in this in this narrative I kind of see her in that moment like hmm, this is good news. There is hope, there is redemption, there is deliverance from, for those who are in Bethlehem for my people. Those are her people. And so she's, she's, she gets a sense of excitement. She goes back home. She tells her, she tells her two daughters-in-law, uh, Ruth and Orpah, she says, I'm gonna go back to my people. And they're obviously gonna start on this journey with her. So they're all three, in and initially, initially in the journey, they're all three going on the journey with, they're all three going together, Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah. They travel to an unknown place with many points of difficulty. Um, geographically, this is about a, a probably a 50-mile trek that would have taken them seven to 10 days to make, obviously, by foot. And it was up through very, very difficult terrain. Um, it would not have been easy for anyone to make the trip, which is, which is likely the reason why Elimelech was affected so, so much by it in the, on the first journey. At some point in this journey, Naomi stops and turns to her two daughters-in-law. Now, I'm just speculating and I know it's not good to speculate sometimes, but I'm going to throw some speculations out to kind of fill some lines in in the story. I'm speculating that at some point along the way, Naomi comes up to a piece of the journey that she remembers from, the, from coming the other direction, and it, and, it, and it sparks in her mind the challenges that are ahead of her sparks in her mind the difficulties that they're going to face once they go through this pass. On the other side of this pass is possibly a a much more difficult terrain. She begins to think about this. Maybe she thinks about uh, Elimelech and the difficulty that he had going through that pass. Maybe she thinks about her two uh, sons and maybe the difficulty that they had going through that pass 10 years prior We don't know exactly what happens, but at some point, after they've started on this journey to to go to a place of redemption, at some point, Naomi, who has been on the journey before, stops and says, it's too difficult. She stops the journey and she says, it's too hard for you guys. I'm going to go on to... To Bethlehem, but you, you girls, maybe she didn't call them girls, you ladies or whatever, you stay here. You stay with your families. You, get, you, you, you go back to your mother's house, she says to them. Go back to your mother's house. There will be other husbands that will be there available for you to marry. You'll be able to start a new family. You'll, you'll be able to start a new life. Naomi stops them because the journey is going to be difficult from that point possibly forward from Moab to Bethlehem. There's a hard journey ahead of them. When they get to there, there's no family going to be waiting for them. There's no husbands that are going to be there. There's no children. There's no home. There's no financial help. Naomi really lays out for them all of these negative things that are going to face them, not only in the journey, but in their destination, They had no idea what was was ahead of them. Only Naomi did, and Naomi was possibly suspect about what was ahead of them because of the fact that she had been gone for 10 years and because of the fact that she had been through the rough terrain that took her from the place of redemption to the place of Moab. There's other things that play into this. Obviously, Ruth was, at this point, experiencing some bitterness She felt like God had been hard on her. Her words possibly came from a heart of of frustration and not wanting to deal with what was going to come up ahead of her. There's a lot of of, um, speculation that can be thrown here, but what we do know is at some point she she stops the journey. After they're all journeying together, she stops the journey, and she says, it's too difficult. You can't make it. You can't get there. Girls, stay home. Go back to where it's comfortable. Go back to where there is hope for a husband and there's hope for the future. Go back to where there's protection and provision. Go back to Moab. We think about the story that's being presented here. We go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Lot. You remember when Lot was leading, leaving? You remember when Lot went into Sodom and Gomorrah? He went there for the same exact reasons that they went into Sodom and Gomorrah. It was, it was a place where they could have their needs fulfilled. There was challenges or difficulties, and they, they went to a place where would, that would fulfill those needs. Do you remember when they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah? What happened to Lot's wife? She's telling them, Go back. To this place because the road ahead of you is going to be difficult the road ahead of you is going to be challenging she seeks to convince these two young widows to return to their families to return to their securities to return to the things that bring them hope and a future and possibly some some provision and protection she she sends them back or presses them in that direction orpah and ruth are faced with a decision at this point Do we go back to to Moab? Do we go back to where there's comfort and hope and security and provision? Or do we go on with with Naomi? Do we we make this difficult trek not knowing what lies ahead? Not knowing what's beyond this point or the next point? Do Do we stop and go backwards or do we just keep on going forward? Both of them had the opportunity to stay. Both of them were presented with the opportunity to go. Both of them were given the same decision. You can stay or you can go. Both of them had to count the cost of what it was going to be to stay and what it was going to be to go. After starting this journey, we see that Orpah, Orpah decides to stay. She's, she's, she's going to stay with, with the Moabites. She's going to stay there. We don't read anything beyond this. Um, we don't read anything beyond this that gives us any detail as to what her life entails later in the future. Um, a few commentaries that I read made some really extreme speculations that I'm leaving off the table this morning because there is no biblical evidence for them at all. I mean, you, you have to really read in to try to find these speculations. But, but Orpah decides she's going to stay in Moab... She makes the decision to stay there, but but I want you to notice when she stays there in our narrative. It's difficult for her. She's, she's emotionally challenged. And in two cases, there's tears, there's mourning, there's heartache, there's, there's embracing, there's all of these things taking place. It's, there's this emotional moment where, where Naomi explains to them, you need to stay here in Moab because it's going to be too hard for you to go. They all break down and cry and mourn and hug and embrace, and Orpah stays. You need to get that, okay? This important piece of the puzzle in this in this narrative. And then Naomi turns to Ruth and says to her, Look, your sister, look, your sister is going to stay. She's making a wise decision. She's making the right decision. You stay with her. And Ruth's, and Ruth's response is is without question the boldest response in all of the book of Ruth. It's like the, the, the most profound thing that Ruth says in the entire book is found right here in, in these few verses describing Ruth's attitude towards staying and Ruth, Ruth's attitude towards going. Ruth was committed, as you see in the text Ruth was committed to joining Naomi to this place called Bethlehem, which ultimately we know will end up being the place of redemption, right? But she had no clue of it. She had no idea what awaited her in Bethlehem. She was willing to trust and to journey. I want to give you nine thoughts off of this narrative, nine simple things that you, we need to consider when we're thinking about this journey that takes people to redemption, that goes from worldliness, sinfulness, selfishness, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, see, that takes us from that world to a world of humility, to a world of brokenness, to a world of redemption, to a world of hope, to a world of deliverance. We have to know that there's a journey that goes from here to here, and Ruth is meant to show us what that journey looks like. Ruth is meant to show us what it takes to make that journey, and Orpah as well. We're meant to see some truths that that are depicted in this passage of Scripture that will take a person from from their total lost condition to a completely redeemed and restored condition. There are nine things, so if if you're taking notes, feel free to write these nine things down. Number one, the road to redemption is familiar to some but unfamiliar to others. The road to redemption is familiar to some, but unfamiliar to others. In in other words, as we see in the narrative, Naomi is going home. Naomi is going to a place that she belonged. Naomi is going somewhere that she had been before. Naomi is taking a, a journey that she had already been on before. She's going to a place that she belongs at. The road to redemption is familiar to some and not familiar to others. Ruth and Orpah, on the other hand, they don't know where they're going. They don't belong there, obviously. They're Moabite women. They're there they're, they're, they're to be and expect rejection when they get to Bethlehem, not acceptance. They're going to a place where they're, they're outcasts. They were Moabites. In the New Testament, you have Samaritans that were seen in the same context as the Moabites would have been seen. We see them in the same context in the New Testament as Gentiles. Gentiles and Samaritans were were treated in the New Testament the same way that Moabites would have been treated in the Old Testament. There are people on this journey from sinfulness to salvation that don't know what the journey looks like. They've never been there before. They don't know what the destination is like. But there are others that are on this journey that do know what it looks like. They've been there before. They've already reached the destination. They've, they've backslidden. But now they're back on the journey again. Not that you get saved again, but that you, you are often, you are, you are, we, are, we are often moving away from that perfect place where, where, where we ought to be, and God is bringing us back. We have struggles with backsliding. So we see, first of all, that the road is familiar to some, but it's unfamiliar to others. We see, secondly, that the, mo- the, the road to redemption is motivated by hope. We not only see this here in this passage of Scripture where, where Naomi hears of a hopeful situation. She hears of redemption. She hears of God's blessing back in Bethlehem. She hears of this blessing and it sparks within Naomi a certain level of hope. And this hope motivates her to desire to go back to Bethlehem where her people are. There is a level of hope. Hebrews 11 is full of people who faced really, really challenging circumstances and difficulties, but they had hope, right? Right? And it was that hope that they had, the hope of eternal home, the, the hope of a place that's not made by man, but made by God, the hope of something unique and spiritual, the hope of something eternal. They had this hope that drove them through life, difficulties and challenges. They, they marched through the difficulties and challenges. And the Lord says in Hebrews 11 that they, they had the right to go back to Egypt if they wanted to, but they were looking forward to something better. I think sometimes we need to get a hold of this truth that there is something better ahead of us. We don't have to look back and think about what we've lost. We should always, as Christians, be looking forward to what we are gaining. When we leave this life, it's not a curse when we leave this life. It's a blessing. We get to go into eternity with God. The whole whole, uh, essence of our Christianity is built around 1 Corinthians 15. It's built around the resurrection of believers We're not afraid of dying. We have a Lord who died and rose again and promised that all those who are in him will rise again to to an eternal inheritance that far outweighs the blessings and the good things of this life. The road is motivated by hope. I think of Jonah when the Ninevite king, when Jonah went to Nineveh and he went in to, to tell them that, that judgment was coming, that the, the king of Nineveh said this to his people, we will have a fast, we will have a fast and we will repent. He said, if possible, that God will show us mercy. It was this little level of possibility, this little level of hope, that caused the Ninevite king to say, "We are going to repent, and we are going to we are going to fast because maybe God will be good to us." We know that God is good; we don't even have to say maybe. We know that He's good. But listen, the slightest hint of hope is what drives us on that road to redemption. The whole Ninevite. Uh, Country was, was converted for Christ. And you know what was sparked it was this little sense of maybe God will be merciful to us. Three Hebrew children stand before the king Nebuchadnezzar and they say to him, we will not bow before your God because our God is capable of delivering us. Those three Hebrew children did not say that God would deliver them They said that he can deliver them. It was that slight hint of hope that drove them to doing what was right in a very, very difficult and challenging situation. Folks, we need to have that slight hint of hope right now, that slight scent of hope when it comes to COVID, that slight sense of hope when it comes to the election that we just went to, that slight hint of hope when it comes to whatever challenges that we face because God is in control. He hasn't, he's not asleep in heaven. He's not wringing his hands saying, what will I do with this situation or that situation? God is still on his throne. And we can look and we can see him righteously and justly working out his plan. We have that hope. And what does that hope do? It it drives us down that road of redemption. Romans 2 and verse 4. Do you not presume on the richestness on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Psalm 24, 27, verse 13 said, says, and I'm going to quote it out of King James. I think it says it a little bit better than uh, what I have typed out here. He says, He says, I would have quit or I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The road to redemption is motivated by hope. There must be something to hope for. Number four, the road to redemption demands repentance. The road to redemption demands repentance. Ten times in this in this short passage of scripture, the word return or turn around or turn back is used. There is no going to Bethlehem without first turning your back on Moab. There is no returning to Christ. There is no returning to God without turning your back on the things of this world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Repentance is required. The turning around and the turning away from is required for us to turn to Christ. Matter of fact, in Luke 13, verse one through five, the scripture says, I believe twice in that text, unless you repent, You will all likewise perish. There has to be a turning around. There has to be a turning away from something that is is going to bring us destruction. There is no redemption without returning. You can't stay, remember this, you can't stay in the same direction. You can't stay in the same direction and expect your destination to change. You can't stay in the same direction and expect your destination to change. What we call that is insanity. Insanity is when you continue to do the same thing hoping that the results change. You can't keep walking the same path and expect that you're going to make it somewhere else. There is no redemption without repentance. There is no forgiveness without confession. And there is no salvation without faith. This is what we learn about redemption from the book of Ruth, from this short little context of Ruth. Number five. Number five. The road is offered to all. The road is offered to all. There is no no lack of offering to Orpah or to Ruth in the text of Scripture. They were both offered to get on the road of redemption. They were both given the opportunity by Naomi to join her as she journeyed back to Bethlehem. Orpah and Ruth, as a matter of fact, are are meant, are set up in scriptures as a contrast of those who accept the offer of salvation and redemption and those who reject that offer. We see this theme all throughout Scripture. We see it in Peter and Judas, contrasted. One accepts forgiveness, one rejects forgiveness. David and Saul, the thief on one side of the cross, the thief on the other side of the cross. Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Jesus and Barabbas, true and false prophets, true and false Christs, true and false converts. It's all over Scripture. There's this contrast. The offer of the Gospel is to everyone. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Go ye into all the world and make disciples of every creature. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not to be limited to any certain group of people, any certain type of people. The gospel is to be presented to everyone. The gospel, the road to redemption is offered to everyone. It's not our, listen, listen, It's not our right to determine who gets to hear the gospel or who gets to be offered with the hope of forgiveness and deliverance. Our job is to communicate the message. It is God's job to bring redemption to people. The road is offered to all. Number six, the road can be started. The road can be started and not finished. This is what OrPA tells us the road can be started and not finished. We see this all throughout scriptures of people who sem- who seemingly are followers of Jesus Christ for a season. It seems like they're on the path to salvation or it seems like they're walking with the Lord and there's this there's this external um, picture of them, well, yeah, they have life, and and it seems like they're Christians, and and they ultimately end up falling away. This is not meant to say that they lost their salvation, but rather that they were never followers of Jesus Christ. Matthew 13 tells, tells us this clearly. With three types of soil, that in each one of those soils, there is a, well, in two of the three, there is a seeming expression of life, but there's never any fruit bearing. Matter of fact, on both of those two, they're in the middle. The first one just rejects it outright, the last one accepts it and is saved. The middle two, it shows this it says that they both accept the gospel with some sense of excitement but some type of difficulty or trial comes into their world and they forsake the gospel. Isn't that the story right here? Basically, Orpah is convinced out of redemption. May I submit to you this morning, if you can be convinced out of redemption, you're not in redemption. If it's in your heart, If you've been transformed by the power of Christ in your heart, you could never be convinced out of it. Matter of fact, Matthew 24 says that the the Antichrist will bring such great deception that everybody would believe his deception if it were possible. Because it says, for the elect, it's not possible. The road can be started and not finished. Hebrews is a book that talks about slipping Falling away, continuing in sin, forsaking grace. It's all throughout the scriptures we see it. The road to redemption. You can get on the road, and the day that it starts to get difficult and challenging, you can join ORPA and you can get off the road and never make it to the destination. I'm not saying that this morning to be harsh or hard. I'm just telling you that because that's the biblical truth. That's the reality. There's a lot of people in our world today that we would call false converts. They believe that they're saved, but they're no more saved than the man in the moon. And the only only way that that's gonna be revealed is that there's gonna be trials and tribulations, the Bible says, and it's gonna separate the wheat from the tares, the, the goats from the sheep. It's gonna separate my challenge to you this morning in regards to this is that know, know where your heart is. Have a, have a humble heart. Have a broken heart before God. Have a repentant heart continually. Have a faith-filled heart always. The road can be started and not finished. I'm gonna give you number seven and then I'm gonna go backwards. Let's see here. Maybe I'm ahead of myself. Okay. Okay. Number seven, the road to redemption is easy to get off of, but emotional. Does that make sense? It means that Orpah didn't like jump off and like not have any sorrow towards her her mother in law and her sister, she cried. It was very difficult for her. Judas, when he sold the Lord, he takes his 30 pieces of silver, he throws it back on the floor, and he goes out and commits suicide, doesn't he? Because it's not easy to get, it's not, it's not without emotions to get off of the road to redemption. I think some people think, well, because I'm emotional about Christianity, because I get emotional and I cry when they sing a certain song or they do this, that that's, that's the foundation of Christianity. No, it's not, because Orpah was very emotional and walked away from redemption. The Christian life is not about our emotions, although it includes them. Number seven. The road to redemption requires an accounting. The road to redemption requires an accounting. This, this part of the journey that Naomi stops and shares with, 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 with Ruth and Orpah is an accurate description of what they're about to face. They had to make a decision on whether or not they would remain on the journey or quit. The road to redemption demands an accounting. The Bible tells us in Luke 14, 28 through 32, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Of what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to, with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Just for context's sake, if you just read the verses before that, verse 26 and 27, it talks about what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. You must hate father, mother, brother, sisters, and your own life also. That's the preceding text. And then he says, listen, don't become a follower of Christ without counting the cost. This is what Ruth is presented with at the beginning of this journey. She presented with the cost. I think one of the reasons why we deal so much in our modern day culture with false converts is because we never present them with the cost of discipleship. Matter of fact, we present the gospel without a cost of discipleship, which my friends, is no gospel at all. They were presented with a temporary journey or immediate residency, a temporary sacrifice or immediate security, a temporary risk but immediate safety, temporary difficulty and immediate ease and rest, temporary loneliness yet immediate acceptance, temporary, temporary uncertainty yet immediate stability, future hope and trust or immediate abundance. You see, the cost of following Christ is, in a temporary way, is challenging, difficult, and hard. In the eternal way, it is great blessings. Number eight, the road to redemption is extremely difficult. The road to redemption is extremely difficult. The rich young ruler has it described this way. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you can be my disciple. Nicodemus, who was a great ruler of intellectuals in his day, was told this, go and be born again, and then you can be my disciple. The woman at the well was married five times and was living with his sixth wife. She was told, go and deal with your relational situations, and then you can be my disciple. The disciples are told that salvation and redemption is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It is impossible for man, but it is possible for God. The road to redemption is extremely hard. The Lord describes it this way. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who find it are very many. Many. But the gate is narrow and the way is very hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And I won't repeat it to you, but Luke 14, 26 and 27. Luke 9, the man comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response to him is this. Listen, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nest, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You are welcome to follow me. The road to redemption is difficult. It's challenging. It's hard. The last thought this morning is simply this. The road to redemption is completed by determination and dependence. Listen, Ruth's Ruth's the last verses of this portion of scripture describe a woman who was committed to this journey. And I will submit to you this morning that it is the attitude of Ruth that takes a person from the beginning of the journey to the end of the journey. And it is the attitude of Orpah that keeps people from making to the destination. Here's what she says Your path is my path, your home is my home, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Your death is my death. Your burial is my burial. Ruth attached herself to Naomi in such a way as to say, Your life is my life. He literally uses the term that when it says Ruth clung to her, it comes from Genesis 2.24 when the Bible says, Let man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. She uses a term that's relation to marriage where you become glued to somebody else. Ruth realizes that for me to make this journey, I must glue myself to somebody else. I must cling, I must connect to somebody else. This is a term of bravery and commitment. It is what we hear in Joshua 1, 6, when Joshua is told, be strong and very courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their father's to give them. What the Lord calls from from us, from his people that are going to make this journey, is he calls a sense of bravery and commitment to stay on the path. The path is going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. It's not only going to be challenging for the men that are in the group, it's going to be challenging for the women that are in the group. This is a story of three women, not three men. We are going to have to be a determined people. We are going to have to be a dependent people to get to the destination. And the more we see what's going on in our world today and what's going on around us, the challenges that we face, the persecution that we face now and will face in the future, the more a reality it's going to become. My wife and I were privileged last night to watch a movie. What's the movie called? The Insanity of God, I encourage you to watch it. It's a documentary about missionaries in other countries, but it will literally make you ashamed of your own Christianity. I mean that with all my heart. I I sat there and I was ashamed of my Christianity. We don't know what Christianity looks like. You've got men and women being persecuted in ways that we can't imagine. We can't even fathom what's going on in other parts of the world we're comfortable, we're at ease. Imagine what, imagine what these two women were going through. They were leaving everything that they knew. Everything, they were going to a mission field, to a foreign country, to a foreign land where possibly Naomi would be rejected as well for leaving there 10 years ago. What a brave woman right here. What a bold woman right here. This is meant to depict to to us what it looks like to stay on the path, to stay on the journey. Imagine 50 miles of treacherous walking through hills and mountains. 50 miles, seven to 10 days, going to a place where literally, for all intents and purposes, you have no idea what you're going to face when you get there. And when you leave, you have every idea of what you can expect by staying. That's the road to redemption, folks. That's what it takes to get there. That's what the New Testament is full of. On the path to redemption, have you this morning reached a spot of difficulty? Are you facing an unknown in your life, something that you can't Determine or something that you can't control? Are you facing an unknown where you're looking into a dark valley with many, many challenges and you don't know what to decide? My challenge to you this morning is be bold like Ruth. Be bold like Ruth. Determine and state boldly I am with Christ, I will go where He goes. I will live where he lives. I will be part of his family. I will worship him as God. His death is my death. His resurrection is my resurrection. His life is my life. He will never leave me nor forsake me, and I will boldly follow him. This is a commitment, my friends, that all of us need to make this morning. Whatever challenges we're facing, Satan is doing everything he can to swerve us from the path that leads to Christ. If you're here and you're on that path, you've never been there before, maybe you've not reached that destination, make that commitment. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been there before. You're a believer, but you've, but you've journeyed far. You journeyed a long way from home. And now you're going back May you make that same commitment. And maybe along the way, you've met a few who you're now leading to redemption. Maybe you've met a Ruth and an Orpah, and God is using you to lead them to Bethlehem. Maybe God is using you to be a witness this morning to somebody that you maybe never expected to witness to. Maybe it's a Moabite. Maybe it's a Gentile. Maybe it's a Samaritan. Maybe it's a drunk Maybe it's somebody that's really off out in, in left field in some way politically or theologically or whatever. Maybe God is using you in somebody's life today. Listen to me. You have to learn some things from Naomi as well. Three things I wrote down to learn from Naomi. Number one, be patient. Be patient. Be patient for the journey. Be patient to the end. Number two, be honest. Be honest. Naomi tells them the truth. I don't think she did it with the right attitude. We'll get into that one here in a minute. But Naomi told them the truth. What was coming. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody, tell them the truth. Because the gospel is about eternity. And this life can often get more difficult. You tell them that? Following Jesus can be harder. Tell people that? Because it, listen, the gospel is built on the resurrection. It is built on the fact that you will die and you will rise again and live with God forever. That is the gospel. Be patient, be honest, and be encouraging. I think Naomi's one struggle that she faced in this journey, I think the scriptures make it clear, is that she got bitter. She got negative. And we need to be encouraging those we witness to, let our communication, let our words be full of grace. Let our words be honest. Let our words be patient. As the scripture tells us in Timothy, that, the, that they might come to repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. The road to redemption is not easy. It's challenging. We as Christians must lead others there. And those that we lead We must know that the road is not going to be easy for them. We must join them in the journey and ask God to help them make the destination. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are a redeeming Lord. You are one who provides redemption. You you provide hope. You provide grace. You provide goodness that is un imaginable by your people. It's hard to fathom why you do it, yet you do. We pray, dear God, that you would bless us with an appreciation for what you did in this narrative, for what you're doing now in us and possibly what you're doing now through us. We thank you for this time together. May your word not return void. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.